If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? The snow about did us in, Holy One. It just about did us in. Snow. Two days after Easter in Oklahoma during a pandemic really was a bit much, don't you think? Yes, we know that climate change is real and elections have consequences. We are acutely aware. That snow did, however, remind us how good the sun felt just a few days later. The glorious sun. Yes, of course, the ultraviolet radiation we get from the sun releases endorphins in our brain. Yes, of course, it's a chemical reaction. Yes, of course, it's a scientific connection between our bodies and our closest star. But that makes it all the more astonishing. We confess that we've never appreciated it more. In all of this mess, in all of this uncertainty, in all of this grief and fear, we find ourselves in that place of astonishment more and more. People are staying home out of deep concern and care for their neighbors. Even though it's painful to be separated from the ones we love, even though the finances are getting dicey, people are still staying home in the name of love. Boomers are becoming techies because story time with their grands is too important to miss. Gen Xers are discovering that people really do care about them. Millennials are realizing screens have their place. Entire blocks are organizing bear hunts for the neighborhood kids. People are reacquainting themselves with porches and books and long walks and honest-to-God feelings. It's not all sunshine and roses, Holy One, but it's also not all dark clouds and high winds. Let us not grow weary, or at least not too weary, for we know we have some road yet to travel. We pray in the name of our teacher, Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Here ends the reading inspired by our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. This Sunday is unofficially known as Doubting Thomas Sunday, because this is always when we hear his story. For most of history, Thomas has been an example of who not to be. It's all in the name. Most of the church knows him by Doubting Thomas, so named because he didn't have enough faith, he didn't trust, he didn't just believe. Thomas asked for proof, for a visual. And that is not good, Thomas, not good at all. Thomas, we are told, should have just believed, no questions asked, no matter how unbelievable the story. And we, too, are supposed to just believe, no questions asked, no matter how unbelievable the story. For the past 2,000 years, the church has been creating lists of what the faithful should just believe. It has varied some, but here are the basics of what we have been asked to just believe. That Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life, but was crucified anyway. He was raised to life after three days in the tomb, which was all part of God's plan to save from the fiery pits an elect few. What could possibly be confusing or unlikely about any of that? Don't be a doubting Thomas. Regardless of reason or context or agenda or history or science, don't ask any of those questions. Blessed are those who just believe, right? I mean, Jesus says this specifically because Thomas did not just believe, or that's been the interpretation. For most of church history, Thomas has functioned as the 
worst example of faithfulness. But boy, oh boy, do we love Thomas and the Progressive Church. Thomas, Thomas, he's our man. Since he doubts, all of us can. Thomas is our unofficial patron saint here at Mayflower. Questions and doubt are welcome here. I mean, when the preacher says something y'all don't agree with, you're sure to let me know. Our denomination and congregation is non-credal, meaning no doctrine or form of worship is imposed on members. We understand historic creeds and confessions of faith as testimonies, not tests of faith. But this is sometimes confused with the idea that because we are non-credal, we don't believe anything at all. And of course, that's not true. We believe in an open communion table. We believe that God is still speaking. We believe that love is love. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that we are made in the image of God and that no human is illegal. We believe that our faithfulness will not be judged by the purity of our beliefs, but measured by how well we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly in the ways of Jesus. But now I've just given away the punchline to this sermon. In short, I'm not convinced that this story, which so prominently features Thomas, is really about Thomas at all. You all know what I mean, of course. I have a colleague who tells the story of being in the produce aisle at the grocery store when a church member confronted them about the recent switch to a different hymnal for worship. The member was incredibly upset about the new hymnal. The songs are the same, but some of the words are different. It seems heavier than the old hymnal. The binding is too stiff for it to stay open. At some point, people in the bread aisle began to stare. What the pastor knew was that this person's estranged dad had just died. So when my friend got a chance, instead of responding to the hymnal rant, they asked how the family was doing since the death. The church member burst into tears and then apologized because they too knew that it wasn't about the hymnal. It's rarely ever about the hymnal. This, I think, is true of our scripture reading. It's not about Thomas and his unbelief. It's about all of the other disciples and their response to the announcement that sometime before sunrise, God raised from among the dead Jesus of Nazareth. The disciples' response to this announcement was to lock themselves up in a house worried about what might happen should they be recognized on the street. We can imagine them sitting there, the hours dragging by, the air is hot and sticky, but going outside is not an option. And they are starting to get hungry. Where are the women? Women would have remembered the food. Where are the women? Oh, right. Mary Magdalene had come by earlier saying something about having seen Jesus. They had tried to hush her and had finally dismissed her. The rest of the women had gone with Mary, 
saying something about spreading the word. Maybe the women would be back soon. Maybe they would say it was safe. But until then, no moving around, no drawing attention to themselves. Let's just hope no one would find them. And to pass the time, they began to tell stories about the last three years they spent with Jesus, their travels, the healings, the teachings, the confusion, the clarity. It was no surprise then that our story says that Jesus appeared. And Jesus and the disciples talk for a while, mostly about what exactly the disciples are doing locked up in the house instead of teaching, healing, breaking bread, and in general being out in the world helping people find God. Peace be with you. As God has sent me, so I send you, Jesus reminds them, and then breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Thinking that he has given them the best motivational speech ever, Jesus then exits the building. His job is done, right? Those disciples should be fired up and ready to go. But Thomas, poor Thomas, the only disciple not in the house, missed the whole thing. When he finally gets there, he gives the secret door knock and the disciples quickly usher him in. The disciples, still locked in the house, tell him they have experienced the risen Christ, that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them. Not shockingly, Thomas doesn't believe them. After all, what are the disciples doing that would suggest anything of significance had happened? They claim to have been privy to an appearance by the Jesus Christ, but what did they do in response? Nothing. Not a zip. It isn't unreasonable to side with Thomas from this point, to doubt the veracity of their claims, given that the disciples hadn't done a single thing different since it happened. To expect that an appearance and a pep talk from Jesus would have inspired them to at least crack the door a little bit isn't unreasonable. But that's not what happened. The disciples stayed holed up in that house, doors locked, windows batted down. No wonder Thomas had his doubts. If Thomas doubted, we might imagine that Jesus was annoyed. Not annoyed at Thomas, but at the other disciples who had supposedly seen him, been given a pep talk, passed the peace, and given ascending forth. But they're still in the house. So Jesus, who has undergone trial, crucifixion, and resurrection, has to show up again for these guys. And on this second visit, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, it might be possible that Jesus is passive-aggressively pointing out that not everyone would have the benefit of seeing him, and since the disciples had seen him, 
What in the world were they doing with the wagon still circled? Jesus spent three years with these guys, teaching them how to care for people, how to hold fast in the face of trouble, how to trust in the power of love. And for what? For the disciples to hang out talking together about how great it is that they saw Jesus post-crucifixion? So yeah, I'm guessing Jesus was annoyed. Jesus hadn't just preached the love your neighbor, feed the hungry, clothe the poor, stand up for one another. He had also dragged those disciples all over the countryside doing, doing those things. And Jesus had counted on the disciples to continue the work after he was gone. The kingdom of God does not just come by itself. It requires the hands and feet, the heads and hearts of the faithful. Jesus called those who believe without seeing him blessed. But what if that has nothing to do with creeds or doubts or orthodoxy or heresy, but everything to do with how those who came to know that they are beloved by God, how they came to believe that. To be blessed requires that someone do the blessing. Blessed, the catch-all word that means to be cared for, to be granted mercy, to be loved, to have good bestowed upon. Those of us who know that we are children of God came to believe not because we simply had enough faith, but because at one point or another, someone came alongside us and walked with us through trouble helped us up, welcomed us to the table. They blessed us. And this is how we came to be blessed, how we came to believe, how we came to know, how we came to trust. That was and is the Jesus plan to bless to care for, to grant mercy, to love, to bestow good upon the entire world. The success of the Jesus plan depends entirely upon the faithful passing on the blessing. Bless it forward, so to speak. Easter, which we traditionally celebrate for a day, is not actually just a day, but an entire season that is 50 days long, 50 days. What if we treated Easter as intentionally as we do the season of Lent and for 50 days practice a blessing a day? And we're about a week behind already, so we might have to do some doubling up, but there are trees to be planted. There are essential workers to support. There are teachers and parents to encourage and empower. There is minimum wage to be raised. There are kids to be mentored. There are hungry people to feed. There are calls to make, generosity to offer. There is blessing to be done. 
blessing that turns people into believers. Believers that there is good in the world and that they are loved. So let us live so that it leaves no doubt. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.